Well, good morning, everyone. If you've brought a Bible with you, you can turn in it to Matthew 24. We'll be there talking about the second coming of Christ, as Sarah mentioned. Let me begin with just sharing a short story with you. Back in the 1970s or early 80s, probably in the 1970s, there was a young man hitchhiking across the nation. His name was Bruce. Uh, he wasn't a believer at the time. He has since become a believer, but uh, he's hit hitchhiking across the nation. And uh, some of you may not know what hitchhiking is. I don't know if we still do that anymore. I'm not, I hope we don't do that anymore, but this is where you'd stick out your thumb for a ride, you know, and he was doing that across the nation. And he found himself, left the East Coast and was going to the West Coast and found himself in the Northwest part of the country and uh, storm clouds were forming overhead, night was falling and uh, drops of rain had already begun to uh, fall on him. And he's just, he's just waiting for, for someone to come and pick him up. And as this is all coming together, someone in a red uh, beetle a Volkswagen comes up and the door flies open and he looks inside and there's this character on the inside that looks like, uh, I guess the best way to describe him would be a hippie. Long, kind of scraggly hair. Uh, don't take any offense if you have long, scraggly hair. Uh, long, scraggly hair, T-shirt and, uh, you know, a peace sign on the front of the car. So he gets down, of course, in those days, nobody put seatbelts on, but gets down, sits in, the, sits in the car, and once he gets settled in, directly in front of him is a three-by-five card that had been handwritten and taped to the dash. And it said this, in the event of Christ's return, this driver will suddenly disappear and this car will self-destruct. <laughs> and then it ends with this, you better get ready. So as I was told this story, I was told that uh, Bruce, of course, was making sure his door was not locked. He knew where the handle was to get out. But later on, this became an instrumental part of Bruce coming to the Lord and today is, is serving the Lord. Uh, but at the time, it, it weirded him out in the worst of ways. But I think the admonition is still good for us today. You better get ready because the Lord is coming. So I want to talk to you today why we should be ready and then how to get ready. But first, let's read the scripture verse. This is continuing Pastor Tom's series in the kingdom of God. And so this is a section found in Matthew 24, starting at verse 42, and we'll read down to verse 51. It says this, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day the Lord is coming. But be sure of this. That if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master will put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, that he will be put in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and on an hour which he does not know." 
and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray together this morning. So Lord, we want to say thank you for preserving your word these thousands of years that we might look into it again this morning. Lord, we say thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that illuminates your words and gives us understanding. We want to say thank you for the inherent power that is in your word. Though heaven and earth will pass away, your word will stand forever. And so, Lord, we say thank you for these things. And Lord, we believe that that you have something for us from your throne room today. And so, Lord, speak to us. Speak to us, oh Lord, cut through all the distractions of this life and this morning and this moment and speak into our hearts. And Lord, this day, help prepare us for Jesus' soon return. Lord, may we be alert and may we be ready. And we pray it all this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question I want to ask first is why must we be ready? This is point Number one, why we must be ready. And the obvious answer, but still I want to state it, is because he is coming. We must be ready because he is coming. He says in these verses, be sure of this. Whatever you're not sure of, be sure of this, that Jesus is coming again. He's coming not as a savior this time, although he will save, but he's coming as a judge to judge the nations. He will come again to rescue us from this earth and to judge the nations. Jesus says, the son of man is coming in verse 30 and in 47, truly I say to you, I am coming again. And so this is the first and most practical thing that we have to understand about Jesus' coming is that indeed he is coming. Several years ago, uh, Sandy and I watched the show. I think it was Sandy and I. She doesn't enjoy shows like this as much as I do. The show Taken, the movie Taken. Remember that with Liam Neeson? Now, someone stopped me after the service and said, Greg, that was a pretty nasty show. I don't know if you should be telling people you saw that. Let me explain. So Sandy and I, ever since our kids were young, have had devices on our TV that take out sexual content and violence and, and swear words. And so I always hesitate to mention shows that we've seen for fear that there might be something in that that we didn't see that actually really happened. So don't judge me harshly on me watching Take It. Those of you that have seen that, you sinners that have seen that, (laughs) if you've seen uh, Taken with Neam Leeson in it, you know how the story goes. And so Liam Neeson's well, the character that he played, his daughter gets taken. And so the whole show is him trying to rescue his daughter. But early on in the show, she gets taken in Europe. And so he flies to Europe and and begins sniffing around a little bit to figure out what's going on and and finds the people responsible, or at least a good lead to the people that was responsible. And he calls him on the phone. He's talking to him on the phone. Now, I don't know if they called him. I kind of forget or if he called, uh, called them. But anyway, they end up talking on the phone. And Liam Leeson is threatening him, and the person on the other end is just, just putting him off like, you know, that'll never happen. You know, try your best. You'll never get us. And Liam Leeson ends the phone call before he hangs up and says this, I'm coming for you. Now, guys, you know that if Liam Leeson says he's coming for you, 
he is coming for you. And he defeats like about a hundred people along the way and finally gets to his daughter, finally rescues his daughter along with other women that have been taken. If we can believe Liam Liam Neeson. (laughs) We can believe Jesus. We can believe that Jesus is coming again for his people. This is what the scripture says earlier in Matthew 24. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then the the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from the end of the sky to the other. This is a description of Jesus' return. Sometimes... When we think of Jesus, we think of him as the baby in the manger. And sometimes the only time people hear about Jesus is when they're in church on Christmas or perhaps maybe on Easter. And so there is this picture that that Jesus is this this infant baby, the, the savior, the incarnate God. But Jesus is much more than that. We see that he becomes an adult and he becomes an example to us. He is our mentor. And then, of course, on Easter, dying for us and becoming our savior. But oftentimes we don't see this aspect of Jesus coming again as the judge. We don't see him as coming to rule the nations and to judge the nations. Here's another passage found in Revelation 19. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed with fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads them with a winepress and the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You you see, he will come again. We need to be ready because he's coming again. Secondly, we need to be ready because he will come suddenly and unexpectedly. Now, we know from reading the verses just prior to the verses we read together this morning that Jesus says this, Now, learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch is already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see these things, recognize that he is near, that he is right at the door. So what Jesus says is that there are seasons that will happen that we'll be able to tell that his soon return is coming. We won't know the day and we won't know the hour, but if we stay alert, if we stay awake, we will be able to read the seasons. And so earlier in chapter 24, Jesus lays out just a few things. He lays out many things, but the first three is that we will see kingdoms rising against one another, warring against each other increase of famines, and an increase of earthquakes as well. So consider the age that we live in. Here is something I snooped out from the historical atlas on the 20th century. There's been alarming 
increase in global violence just in the past 100 years. Wars in the past 90 years have killed more people than during the previous 500 years. An estimated 203 million people were killed by wars just in the 20th century alone. Between 170 and 360 million people were killed by governments in the 20th century, apart from war. Recently, more civilians have been dying in armed conflicts than combatants themselves, accounting for 90% of casualties since 1945. In the last decade, now this was written in the early 2000s, in the last decade, war has claimed the lives of an estimated 2 million children and has disabled another 4 to 5 million children. This is from the World Food Program, speaking of famines. The world is facing a food crisis of unprecedented proportions. The largest in modern history, millions are at risk of worsening hunger unless action is taken to respond at scale to the drivers of this crisis, which are conflict, climate shocks, and the threat of global recession. Roughly 80 million people are currently living in a state of crisis level, um, what, what am I saying? Hunger, thank you. How about earthquakes? This is the United States Geological Service, or USGS, reports this. They are now able to locate about 20,000 earthquakes around the globe each year. According to long-term records going back to about the 1900s, the year with the largest total of earthquakes was 2010. With 23 major earthquakes, in comparison... 1989 had only six major earthquakes, and 1988 only had seven. 2019 saw over 46 earthquakes measuring over 3.9 on the Richter scale or higher. So this isn't a science class, obviously. But I think if you're sitting here this morning thinking, well, there's a lot that has to happen before Jesus can return, I would disagree. I would say the time is ripe for Jesus to come back at any time. Now, we don't know the time, or we, we don't know the day, and we don't know the hour, but we know the season. And in my opinion, the season is ripe. The Bible says, leading up to the passage we read, that the coming of the Lord will be like the days of Noah. That when men are eating and drinking and marrying, uh, the end will come. And so God spoke to Noah long before the flood came, and Noah built his ark, and he was was criticized and mocked by those around him. But eventually the rains came. And in that particular verse right here in section, in the same paragraph, verses 36 to 41, in that same section he says that it wasn't even until the floods began to raise that they realized what, what was happening. And so it's going to come in a moment. It's going to come suddenly, and it's going to come unexpectedly. It will be like men and women working in the field where one is taken and the other left. It will be like labor pains upon a woman that come upon suddenly. Now, I don't have any firsthand experience about this, but I have been married to a woman who's had four children. Sandy, my wife Sandy, had babies from my perspective, quite easily. (laughs) 
Let me tell you about our third, our third baby, uh, Kate Elizabeth. So this happened, uh, I'm talking about coming suddenly and unexpectedly. So I'm leaving early in the morning to travel across Wisconsin to go to my ordination interview. Now, I've already taken like a 16-page 16, 16 test to, to show those who were ordaining me, to show me that I understood the scriptures and the Bible and what they believed and that sort of thing. But now was the oral interview. And so I got up early in the morning. I talked to Sandy, how are you feeling today? She's, she, the season was right for her to have a baby. And I said, I said, how are you feeling? And she goes, I feel fine. I said, is there any nesting going on or anything like that? Do you feel like, you know, you want to nest? Or no, no, nothing like that. You feel like, like you can hold on till I get back? And she's like, oh, yeah, this won't be any problem at all. So I take off for my ordination interview. A drive, I think as I remembered, about four hours to my ordination interview. For whatever reason, I was just in a bad mood. That, when I was young and immature, that happened. Now that I'm older, not as much. But back then, I was just in a bad mood for whatever reason. They bring me into a room. They set me in the center of a room on a swivel chair with the presbyters around the outside of the room. Not only was it intimidating, it was off-putting. It was like, guys, I mean, I didn't say this, but I'm thinking it. Guys, we're in this together. Why am I in the center and you're on the outskirts? And so they would fire questions at me, and I'd have to spin around in my chair and answer the question. <laughs> so if someone behind me asked a question, I'd spin around, and I would answer their question. Then someone, I think they were just having a blast. I think <laughs> they were having so much fun. But to me, it was very off-putting, and my attitude was wrong, and I, I, I didn't do well, and I ultimately flunked my ordination interview, which I've since been ordained since that time. <laughs> so I'm driving back home, and I am, I'm just, I'm just beside myself. I'm like, who flunks their ordination interview? And I'm just like, this is, ter this is a terrible thing. And I get back, my, my pastor and his wife, or my pastor's wife was watching one of our children, and, and I picked her up to, to take her home, and uh, she goes, uh, this was before cell phones, she goes, mom, mom had a baby. I go, what? Mom had a baby? She goes, yeah, mom had a baby. And I go, well, what, what was it? You know, was it a boy? Was it a girl? And she goes, I'm not supposed to say. <laughs> mom told me not to say. So I said, well, what, what does it look like? I mean, is it, is it beautiful? Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. And, and what, what, what about this? You know, is it, it's its hair long or short? Oh, yeah, 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 it's just, it's just beautiful. I go, and, and what color of hat did it have on? Did it, did it have a hat on? What color was the hat? Oh, it was a pink hat. Oh, okay, okay, good, 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 good. So I get to the hospital. Sandy has had our child already. In fact, she was on the phone earlier in the day with our pastor's wife, and as she was talking to her on the phone, she said, oh, and the, and the pastor's wife overheard her, and she goes, what's going on? And she goes, oh, I just have a, I just have a gas pain, and it's, it's, it's passing now, so don't worry. And they went on and talked a little bit more, and all of a sudden, she's like, oh, and our pastor, her name is Barb, Barb says, says, what's going on? And she goes, oh, just, it's just a gas pain. I'm just having gas pains. And she, Barb goes, well, how far are your gas pains apart? <laughs> and Sandy, Sandy starts 
time and her gas pains. And, and Barb says, you better get to the hospital. So Sandy's like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the hospital. But she goes to the clinic instead of the hospital. She goes to the clinic. There's nobody there to examine her. Pretty soon they, they get her in and they go, girl, you are having a baby. You're like dilated to nine. You know, you got to get out of here and get to the hospital. Sandy goes to the hospital. She has our third child 45 minutes later. Of course, all the nurses are upset with her because they couldn't get prepared fast enough, you know. Come in sooner than 45 minutes for, for your baby. So the scriptures talk about birth pangs coming on suddenly, and that's what the coming of the Lord is going to be like. When you don't expect it, at a time when you, you, you haven't planned for it, the coming of the Lord is going to come suddenly and unexpected. It also says in the verses right after the ones we read that it will come like like a wedding feast where there are 10 virgins and, and five of them have enough oil in their lamp and the other five don't have enough oil in their lamp. And what happens during the middle of the night while they're waiting for the bridegroom to come, the five that didn't have enough oil have to go and get more oil. And while they're gone, the bridegroom comes. And they miss the bridegroom. And it says at the end of that section, it says, be on the alert then for you do not know the day or the hour. And then finally, there is this analogy that Jesus uses, that Paul uses, that Peter uses, called a thief in the night. That when Jesus comes, we read it here in this section, that when Jesus comes, it will be like a thief in the night. So let me tell you a story. As you know from almost every message I do, my wife does daycare in our home. This is something that I thought about the other day. Sandy's thinking about retiring from daycare in the next 10 years or so, I think, that she'll be retiring from daycare. But she's done this her whole life, ever since our kids were small, because, because when we were first married, we took our kids to daycare, and then one day, uh, one of our kids called the daycare person mom, and then that was the end. Then Sandy's like, I'm staying home with my kids. I'll, do, I'll watch other people's kids. And so she's done that for 40 or 50 years. 40 years. She's done it for a while. <laughs> so this is a, this is a routine of our, of our household. We interview people for uh, daycare. They think they're interviewing us, but we're interviewing them because they're in our house every day. We want to make sure it's a good fit and that sort of thing. And so we, Sandy has great daycare parents, great daycare kids, and, and most, of her, most of her kids come now through, through uh, word of mouth. But here a few years ago, uh, one of the daycare dads drove up in the driveway, dropped off their child, walked back out to the driveway to get in their car, and their car was gone. So we looked on our, on our ring doorbell. He walked in at a particular time, walked out at a particular time. We could see it on the ring doorbell. And that time period that elapsed was two minutes. That within the two minutes that he left his car running in the driveway, a thief had come and taken and, and driven off in his car, and it was, it was gone. Of course, he called the police, other things happened. Suddenly and unexpected, like a thief in the night. Now, let me tell you something about that. Ever since that happened, I have never left my car running in the driveway, not once. When I lock up my car at night, if it needs to be outside, I take the car opener or the garage door opener out so that if someone breaks into my car, they don't get access to the house as well. 
I lock everything up tight. I'll double check it. I'll go out at night. I went out last night and double checked the cars parked in our, parked in our driveway. Because it's happened before, I'm on alert. This is our deficit. That when Jesus comes, it will be decisive in the sense that, that there's not going to be second chances. It's going to come and it's going to be decisive. And so we're at a bit of a disadvantage. But Jesus is strongly speaking to us here, just in case you didn't know this. This Bible is called a red letter edition. Where it's in red is Jesus speaking. This whole section is Jesus speaking. Jesus is saying, I'm coming back. It'll be like a thief in the night, but be ready. Be ready for my coming. Because, um, so here are, the, here are the two things thus far. We need to be ready because he is coming, because he's coming. Uh, secondly, because he's coming suddenly and unexpectedly. And thirdly, we need to be ready, trying to do my watch at the same time. Thirdly, we need to be ready because his coming will have great consequences. Why must we be ready? Because his coming will have great consequences. This isn't something that we can just approach just kind of lackadaisically. His coming will have great consequences. Read this scripture with me about the slave that was mistreating the other. Blessed is that slave when this master finds, this is verse 46, blessed is that slave whom the master finds doing when he comes, speaking about doing his will. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So that's the reward. He will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of his slave will come on that day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know and will cut him to pieces and assign him in a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, we don't know exactly what this means, but I do know this. It's not good. So it's better to be prepared. It's better to be prepared for his coming. When I was a young man, a young boy, probably, I'm looking back now, so probably 10 or 11 or 12 years old, something like that, maybe even earlier, maybe eight or nine. But my brother and I, we were called, this, is probably, this might be racist if it is, tell me so I don't do it again, but my brother and I were called Irish twins. And Irish twins were were twins that were born in the same year. Now, I don't know why. It might be derogatory. I'm so sorry if it is. And, but we were, the, my point is we were born in the same year. We were born in the same year. So we were very close. So even though we weren't twins, we fought like twins. And we're always rolling around on the floor, fist to cuffs, you know, and always in each other's business and always trying to make the other one angry because that was the most fun. If you could make the other one angry, that was the most fun. And so just to give you insight into my brother's my brother's uh, psyche, when I was a boy, I saved up coins to buy a motorcycle. My first motorcycle, I saved up coins, like, like dimes and quarters, and, and I would save them, and I'd put them in a shoebox. Anytime I had got money from somewhere, I'd save it, and of course, I saved for years for this motorcycle and bought this used 90cc Yamaha motorcycle. Well, I was caught driving it on the road, got a ticket and points taken off my driver's license before I even got my driver's license. 
of course, my dad was very, very upset, so he grounded me off of my motorcycle, rightly so. But I didn't trust my brother, even though I was grounded off it, I didn't trust that he went right it. So what I did was, I got a chain and a padlock, and I chained the two wheels together. I turned the steering column and locked the steering column so it couldn't turn. So it was turned to the side, okay? So it's locked, you can't turn it. Chained together, tires chained together, locked so you can't turn it, and the ignition key I took. So I come home one day for school, there the chain is laying, and my motorcycle's gone. The chain and the lock are laying on the ground, and my motorcycle's gone. Well, I know my brother has it, you know, that, that was my brother. This is my brother, too. So I'm working a delivering pizzas. Sandy and I worked, to, worked at the same place when we were in high school. Worked delivering pizzas. She was, a, she was a, a, a waitress. She was a waitress there at the place. I delivered pizzas. My mom and dad got us a car for my brother and I to share. So when we were 16, we got this car that we were able to share. And uh, in, the middle of the, in the middle of the night, my brother came and got the car, wrecked the car, and then brought it back to where I was, where I was. And then when I took the car home, guess who got in trouble for the wrecked car? Yep, there was no getting out of it. I'm over all that now, as you can tell, but... Uh. <laughs> so my brother and I are on the way home one day, and my mom wasn't there, and my dad wasn't there. So my brother, as we're just kind of, you know, jabbing at each other, he says, I'm going to run ahead and lock the door on you. And he takes off running towards the house. And I'm running right behind him. I'm like, you are not going to lock me out. And this isn't fun. This, we're mad at each other, you know. And he runs ahead of me, and that door slams in my face, and it's locked. And I, was I unleashed a, a flurry of cuss words on that door, and I'm pounding on that door. And to this day, my dad still lives in the same house. To this day, it's got a single pane window in the door. And when you pound on that door, that that window rattles back and forth and that door makes a racket and bam, 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 and I'm letting out a flurry of cuss words on my brother and the door opens and it's my dad on the other side. You see, he had come home suddenly and unexpected. And let me tell you something about that. His coming was decisive. It was decisive in the sense that there wasn't going to be a second chance. This was going to be over. And it was divisive in this sense, that my brother John got to stay up and watch TV, and Greg had to go to bed. I was thankful that it was only going to bed. I was happy with that. I was rejoicing that it was just going to bed. But it was also definitive in this sense, that my dad defined the terms of what was wrong and what wasn't wrong. I tell you that story to say this, that Jesus's unexpected return will be decisive, as I spoke about earlier. It will come in a moment and there will be no going back. It'll be de uh, divisive in the sense that there will be some that will be faithful and there will be some that will be unfaithful. Uh, there'll be wise and foolish, like the wise and foolish versions. There'll be those that are profitable and unprofitable, like the parable of the talents coming up right after our scripture. It'll be like the sheep and goats of chapter 25, where Jesus will separate the sheep and goats. It will be divisive and it will be definitive. There will be rewards given. Blessed is that slave, it says in our verses, blessed is that slave who the master finds doing when he returns. 
When the master finds doing that which he's left us to do, when the master finds that slave doing that, blessed will that slave be. But also for the slave that isn't doing that, he will cut him in two. There'll be weeping and gnashings of teeth and serious consequences. Guys, this is a bit of a downer, but I want you to know, each one of us will give an account of our lives. Each one of us will give an account. We know that we will stand before a gracious and loving judge who will judge us graciously and lovingly. But we know that each one of us will stand before him. And the Bible says that we will be rewarded or will suffer loss. And just to put that in a very, a very uh, short way, the things we do for Jesus will remain. We'll be rewarded for those things. The things we do on our own, it'll just, it'll just be burnt away. It'll just be burnt away. It'll be haste, double, and straw. It won't, be, it won't be anything. But those things done for the Lord, those will stay and we'll be rewarded for that. Our salvation is not in question. Do not misunderstand. At the judgment seat of Christ, our salvation is not in question. But as long as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, but what we've done in this life, we will receive a recompense in my Bible, it's translated recompense, which just means a balancing of the scales. For the things you did good, you're going to get good things. For the things you did bad, you're going to suffer loss. That's the promise. That's the promise of Scripture. And so our desire then is to be found before him ready and pleasing. So the first section is, why must we be ready? The second point is, how to be ready for his coming. So I want to take these last few minutes to prepare you for probably the second most important thing that will happen in all of the history of mankind. I only need 10 minutes. This is what Jesus says. Be on the alert. This is verse 42. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Now, some Bibles, if you have a different Bible than New American Standard uh, Bible, it probably says, be on watch or be on watch. This is a more literal translation, be on watch, because it speaks of a watchman who's watching, who's essentially on guard. And so my Bible is translated to give a fuller meaning to it. Instead of translating it literally, it kind of tells us what it means. It means be on the alert. This is not passive. This is not a passive, you know, sitting by the window waiting for Jesus to come. This is being on mission. This is being alert. It's being on watch that Jesus is coming again. And so we are on constant readiness waiting for him to come. It's like, it's like selling your house, you know. I don't know if you've ever sold a home and used a realtor. But when, when you're selling a house, you got to clean up your house. You know, you got to maybe paint some things, correct some things. But the big thing, once you're getting ready to sell it, is you got to have a clean house. Now, if you have kids, this is a big problem. Because your kids are messing up the house and you're trying to keep the house clean because the realtor could call at any time and say, there is someone who wants to look at your house. Suddenly and unexpected. And so if you want to sell your house and you want to get a good price for it, then you have your house clean all the time. You're on constant readiness. It's like that car being stolen out of our driveway. Guys, I'll never leave my keys in my car again. It didn't happen to me, but I'm, I'm vigilant. I mean, I'm not going to let that happen. My doors are locked. My keys are out. My door openers out of that. I'm not going to let that happen. I am vigilant. 
So I'm reading some books. I read a book, A Popular History of Modern Day Israel, here a couple months ago, and liked it, liked it so much I bought a bigger like textbook of the history of Israel. Absolutely loved it. I mean, just you can just see God's hand in so much of the, of the, the developing nation of Israel. And so I wanted to read a third book, and I wanted to get a little bit deeper, and so I bought a book that described the activities of the Mossad, which is the secret intelligence agency of Israel. And in this book, it talked, the name of the book is Rise and Kill First, which is from the Babylonian Talmud. The whole verse says this, when your enemy seeks you out, rise and kill first. And so this is the efforts of Mossad to protect their territory by neutralizing terrorists and those that would, that would come against their, their country. One thing I'm, a couple of things I'm learning from this book, when I read long sections of it and I get done reading and I close the book and I look around, I kind of look over my shoulder to make sure, uh, you know, that uh, no one's watching. And, and secondly, I never want to become an enemy of Israel. I never want to become an enemy of Israel. And uh, thirdly, I think of the preparedness of the state of Israel. There are 21 Muslim countries in the Middle East that have pledged death to, to, to Israel. There are a number of the surrounding countries that in years past, currently there are much less than that that have pledged the destruction of Israel. Currently there are much less than that, but there are those around them like Iraq and uh, Iran, uh, uh, not so much Iraq, Iran, and uh, in years past, Egypt and Syria and others that have pledged the destruction of Israel. And so guys, this country is always on high alert. They know that they can be invaded at any time. Why? Because it's happened many, many, many times in the past. That they have been invaded in a, on a moment's notice, suddenly and unexpectedly. And so they are always on alert. They are always sending out agents into, into Muslim countries. They are always gathering intel. They're always working on their very small nation. And yet there are so many nations that are bent on their destruction. And so they're always on alert. Guys, these are Jesus' words to us. Be on the alert because I am coming at a time when you think not. I wonder, do you think he'll come today? Don't answer out loud, just think. So if you think he's not coming today, I mean, let's be serious. I mean, this was, Matthew was written probably 40 years, 30 or 40 years after Jesus actually said this words, these words, and he hadn't come then. Second Peter talks about Jesus' coming along with, with other, other books, but Second Peter was written 40 years after Jesus said these words that he was coming back. You know, at some point, you just begin to wonder, is Jesus really coming back? And now, 2,000 years later, Jesus still hasn't returned to the earth. And we're still waiting for him. Guys, I think these words are so right for us today. Because we can be lulled into an expectation of no expectation. That Jesus, Jesus like, the, like, the, like the unfaithful slave, you know, that his master delayed and he said in his heart that my master is delaying. And, and really, it was more than just delaying. There must have been a thought that he's not really coming back to hold, hold me accountable. He said in his heart, my, my master is delaying. Now, he might not say this out loud, like we might not say it out loud, 
But in our heart, our heart doesn't speak with words like our mouth speaks. Our heart speaks with actions. And so when our actions say that, hey, I don't really think Jesus is coming back today. And really, if I was pressed, I don't think he'd be coming back next week. And really, if you really press me, I don't think he's coming back next year. In fact, he's been gone a long time. I'm not sure when he's coming back. If that's us, these words are perfect. Be on the alert. Be ready. Be vigilant because you don't know when he's coming. And when he comes, it will be, it will be high stakes. It will be decisive, it will be divisive, and it will be definitive. It pays for us to be ready for his second coming. It pays for us to be alert. So here's the first thing, be alert. Here's the second thing, be faithful, be faithful. The Bible talks about, in our passage that we read, it talks about the faithful servant. We read on a little farther, it talks about, in verse 14 of chapter 25, it talks about the parable of the talents. Let me just close with that. Parable of the talents, maybe you remember. Three people are given talents. One person is given five talents. Another person is given two talents. The third person is given one talent. The master goes away for a long time. When he comes back, he sees how much they have turned their investment into. The person with five talents turned that into 10 talents. The person with two talents turned that into four talents. And the person with one talent buried it in the ground and didn't do anything with it. The first two people got this commendation from Jesus, saying simply, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. What were the servants doing in our passage and in this passage? They were being faithful to what the Lord asked them to do. They were being faithful to the things that God had asked them to do. Now, the guy with one buried in the, in the ground. I asked myself, why did he bury it in the ground? Could be, I just got one. What's the big deal? I got one talent. What's the big deal? I'll just bury it. Who cares? You know, it's one talent. But to the master, it was something very, very important. The scripture does tell us that he buried it in the ground because he was afraid. He was afraid. So one reason we're not prepared for his coming is, is because we're just distracted. Marrying and giving in marriage and eating and drinking. We're just distracted. The other reason is, is that we've become unfaithful in that sense that the Lord has actually called us to do some things and we have become unfaithful with those things. That whether it's something we should stop doing and haven't stopped doing or something we should be doing which we haven't started doing, God is asking us not only to be alert, but he's asking us to be faithful to the things that he's given us to do. Now some misunderstand. Some think, some think, some think that Billy Graham's reward will be so much bigger than ours because of all that he did. Guys, that is patently wrong. We are judged and rewarded based on our faithfulness, not based on our production. We're not based on, our rewards are not based on our production. It's based on our faithfulness to what God has asked us to do. One, these were given talents based on their ability. They were based on their ability. And they were held, held accountable based on their faithfulness. And in the same way, the rest of Scripture proves it true as well. In the same way, we will be rewarded on the basis of faithfulness. Have we done the things that God has asked us to do? So let me remind you, Jesus is coming again. And his words to us here 2,000 years later, 
is this. Be ready. Be on the alert and be faithful. And if you're one of those people, you will receive the reward that he has planned for you from the foundations of the earth.